welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheen and I'm joined here this week by my good friend Kevin O'Carroll. Kev, just the two of us this time. Yeah, just the two of us, you and I. Uh, it's a balmy summer's day and evening, I should say, in in Ireland. I am recording this episode in a t-shirt and shorts. Just, I'm hoping it imbues me with some kind of different flavor of energy than I usually bring to the table. Yeah, and I'm recording this episode in a pair of tracksuit and a hoodie that I worked in today. And also, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, might have slept in last night because nice. I work from home and have no self-respect. Are you going full gremlin? I mean, going is a very generous word to use there. <laughs> full goblin, even. I full to, goblin. I, I wanted to find another kind of snidey little creature to, to, to call you. Is that okay? Yeah, I appreciate it. No worries. Our topic today is um, our guilty pleasure games, which, you know, it's kind of a broad thing. It sounds, doesn't it? forgive this um, usage of this word, but it sounds a bit naughty, doesn't it? Mm, or, it's like transgressive. Guilty. <laughs> Ooh, I have a pleasure and I'm guilty about it. You know, it's just, yeah. uh, I think this is going to be our naughtiest episode. I'm already wearing shorts, so. <laughs> yeah, just, it's going to be about an hour and 45 minutes of us just talking about um, <laughs> hentai visual novels. <laughs> so close. Stra- close to what i have prepared actually yeah, so <laughs> strap on and strap in folks we that's weirdly um we, we're just spot on with that but before we get to that um what are you playing at the moment um so as predicted in the last episode i'm still playing zelda i am also still playing zelda and i'm absolutely fucking loving it the more time i spend with it the more i do the more there is to do i i mm-hmm. like I don't remember how to want to play other video games anymore. I just want to play Zelda all the time. That's lovely, though. It's a good feeling, isn't it? I suppose the one sort of video game-related thing that I have done lately outside of Zelda, um, and I mentioned it to John earlier, um, who can't be with us today because he's off, I think, hunting whales, he said? Or hunting in whales? I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) But uh, it's a two and a half hour long documentary on YouTube about um, financial improprieties in Estonia in the last decade. Okay. Which which means it's also a documentary about the uh, recent court case surrounding Disco Elysium. Right. And it is fascinating. It's by a YouTube channel called um, People Make Games that do excellent stuff. They did a, a series last year, I think on uh roblox and the sort of the predatory monetization yeah. around that but this is their most recent project there's this huge sprawling thing covering the entirety of the the furore around zaum the studio behind disco elysium and it's genuinely one of the most interesting things i've seen in a while it's fascinating so you're bringing a youtube video to the table instead of a game this time yeah it's what have i been playing i pressed play on the video oh, so yeah you got me there you're a rascal I've, I've always said that but it does sound like something i'm always looking for nerd leaning video essays post two hours long to watch so mm. thank you <laughs> i will definitely watch that it's good it's well worth a look Disco Elysium is like a game you absolutely love and it's a game that I need to get back to in attempt number two, maybe post-Zelda, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe post-Zelda would be a good time to play it because it's, it's kind of it's kind of the opposite of, of a Tears of the Kingdom type thing where it's it's not about exploration or invention or creativity. It's just about just a really interesting story that you can kind of nestle yourself into and i'm not saying the plot of tears of the kingdom is bad it's actually much better than i was expecting 
Um, yeah, it's pretty Zelda. It's pretty Zelda, but it, it moves a little if it's good. As a like, I'm not looking at anything online yet, but as a unrepentant mm. Zelda twat, I am wondering <laughs> if in any way it fits into the timeline because I actually think it just absolutely steps all over the pre-established timeline. But um, I'm very yeah. interested to go on Reddit, <laughs> Zelda Reddit things or whatever <laughs> after and seeing everyone going, it doesn't fit the timeline. <laughs> How could they fuck up a sequel to another game? It's the same link in Zelda. Why is it the most complicated one yet? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we've made efforts on previous episodes to not discuss the Zelda timeline. But, yes. Um, <laughs> but I think, didn't they establish in Breath of the Wild that the timeline effectively is is moot now it doesn't matter that that the events of every other zelda game before breath of the wild is basically lore it's myth it's legend uh, yeah, yeah yeah and that only breath of the wild onwards is the timeline now so whatever we're seeing in flashbacks in tears of the kingdom that is the canon everything else is just myth you know sure sure people will love that but yeah no but, i mean fuck it realistically <laughs> Well, I'm still playing Zelda, and I don't want to as well. I don't. Wanna, I checked my Switch there yesterday, and you can go into your profile, and it says I've been playing it for over eighty hours now. So okay. I'm a good bit into it now. I've done all the four main kind of goals you have to set out to do. Yeah. But like yourself, I'm just so happy to not let this game end yet. Yeah. I just want to keep going. I'm not going to go into any details or opinions about it because I also it's such a large game. I don't really want to put information out into the world from our little humble platform even yet. I just think it's still a game that people need to discover, you know? For sure. Even even one of its big exploratory, exploratory kind of twists, I just I wouldn't say it yet because I yeah. think it's one of those things you want to discover. But um, I'm absolutely loving it. Uh, I feel like I'm circling the end of my playtime, but that could mean 20, 25 hours. <laughs> I, feel, yeah. I, feel, <laughs> I feel like I still have a lot to do. But I want to talk briefly about a game that I played just before Zelda Kev. Ooh, cool. uh, you wouldn't you recommended it to me you recommended it to me on this podcast it was uh you did it on our like six months ago we did a games of 2022 list oh yes yeah yeah yeah. and you were going on about the case of the golden idol and i finally got around to playing it and um i loved it i love yeah. a wee little detective game i do yeah it's so good it's um yeah, our, our games of, of 2022 episode, I wax lyrical about it for probably longer than I should and take up too much of the episode. Nah. But uh, yeah, if anyone's interested, check it out there in more detail. But in essence, it's um, it's just this little puzzly detective game slash kind of point and click influenced, kind of Return of the Oberdin influence, where it just... I love a game that's so smart that it makes you feel smart when you get it. And Golden Idol has that in spades. It's that peaks and valleys of kind of, you know, the valleys of like, okay, I've solved as much as this as I'm able to. My brain just clearly doesn't operate well enough. And then when you finally, something finally clicks and it's wonderful. Like, I, I don't cut the image of one of those kind of, you know, pro gamers or streamers, you know, mm. who standing up going, let's go, yeah, and all that. But there was times playing that game when I literally rocketed up from my computer chair and like arms up in the air, just going, yes, I fucking figured out who the guy with the mustache is. You know, <laughs> finally I did it. Yeah. And, and they're all murder. They're all kind of little, small little murder cases that kind of connect to each other over decades. It tells a narrative. But there was one I want to I want to highlight in particular, Kev. So I thought it was just mild genius. Mm. Um, it was the one, I think it's the penultimate case. Uh, there's DLC out for now. I'm not talking about that, though. I haven't played it yet. Same. It's the penultimate case in the main game. It's the one where rather than solving a murder... You're in a tribunal where a bunch, where this yes. this this 
cult who have ascended to a kind of a political party are holding a tribunal and they have all these esoteric mysterious rules and and laws and if people if, if members of them break the laws they have like they lose points yeah. and you have to just untangle and figure out how all their mad rules and laws work and i thought it was absolutely genius especially since it, it's a game that had me with a pen and paper going all right okay if this guy uh talk to another woman at a party who wasn't his wife he'd be on minus five but he's already on plus 20 because he i just thought it was yeah completely unique completely unique it's it's a brilliant brilliant little puzzle i um rather than pen and paper i had like a google keep note open on my phone when i was doing it and i came across the note relatively recently and it was just like pride minus 15 question mark (laughs) exactly yeah and yeah i i wanted to kind of harken back to um old old timey there but i also did it on my phone thanks kev i just wanted to say i just wanted to say pen and paper you know the more tactile yeah. but i remember when you and i got really obsessed with return of the oprah din a, yeah. a couple of years ago around the same time and i still maintain it's one of my favorite games of all time i remember saying to you i can't wait until developers hopefully get influenced by oprah din yeah and this is the first clear case of it this is the first game i feel like where it came out in the wake of Overdin. I think it's just an exciting time for nerds who like solving mysteries in their video games. Absolutely. And long may it continue. Like I said, there's the DLC out for it, yeah. which I haven't played, but I've heard good things about. So I'm going to do that possibly post Zelda. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of things post Zelda that I want to do. Pizza Tower. Pizza Tower. Yeah. I want to maybe do the remake that's after coming out of System Shock. I'm hearing mixed things, but... I'm hearing the mixed things, but the reasons why it's mixed is that it's kind of loyal. I was a big Bioshock fan, and System Shock, in my mind, was always this like legendary game that came out before that, and I just never got around to playing it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely on my radar. It looks really cool. I love the art style that they've used for it, where they've kind of got modern lighting effects. Yeah. But when you get up to, close to any texture, it's, it's pixelated in a way that kind of harkens back to the original. It's a really nice mix oh, of old and new art styles. It's very cool. Very cool. And I want to play that um, Lovecraftian fishing game as well. Oh, Dredge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, recommended by friend of the podcast, Johnny Wong. Shout out to Johnny. I know yes. you don't listen to this. <laughs> he did recommend me over Pinestone, but I I kind of post-Zelda, which I, like I said, about 30 hours, 25 hours more I'm planning. <laughs> I kind of want to maybe play some indie games or, like I said, an old remake of a game I never played from the 90s. That's what I'm feeling. But those are games we're pleasurable about. Is that is that well, is that a weird segue? I feel like that was the point for the segue. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, when it came out past my lips, I didn't like it. Yeah, I like you could have gone with the, those are games that I wouldn't feel any guilt. Way better enjoying, maybe I don't know. Way better already. Way better. Yeah, I'll finish it though. But those are games we could potentially find pleasurable. How about the ones that make us guilty with our pleasure? Uh, it just. I don't know. It sounds like I'm up to something. No, you know what? When you got to the end there, it actually worked. It did. I, I feel bad for, for not letting you off the hook the first time around. Is this is this good? Is this good content? <laughs> it's content. All right. But look, to, keep rolling. But look, just to kind of uh, lay it out, we're both going to... We haven't talked about what we're choosing, but we're essentially both going to talk about um, game or games in which, you know, we love or like, but we will, like, acknowledge that there's shit elements. Because I actually am um, guilty about none of my gaming pleasures, to be honest, but there are definitely ones, but that's just a, that's just a nice thing to name the episode. <laughs> but there are definitely <laughs> ones that I'm like, oh, I love this game, but God, this is kind of ropey, this is kind of shit. And that's kind of what we're aiming for, right? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I kind of, I'm with you. I don't feel guilt about my gaming, but at the same time, there's definitely some games that I like that I feel like I shouldn't support. And there's definitely some games that I like that if someone was to walk into the room at the wrong time, <laughs> I would probably have to like move my hands to make it clear that my, you know, my clothes were still on and say, it's not what it looks like. Yeah. And that's not a great look. <laughs> Yeah, but like, yeah, I'm glad we're both in agreement that we don't feel guilty about games. I feel guilt about the way she looked at me before she left or the yeah. way he screamed and the way I kept on walking past that dark alley. I feel guilt about those things. I feel guilt about most things in my life. It's yeah. pretty much just video games I don't. Well, the first game that's a guilty pleasure of mine was the time I heard domestic abuse next door and I didn't call the police. <laughs> you proud of that one, buddy? <laughs> I didn't know I was going to say that. Genuinely, I genuinely, <laughs> I kind of wanted to fit it into the previous joke where I was like, "Oh, I'm guilty," but and then, but I subconsciously kept it. Uh... <laughs> okay. Kev, would you like to start with an actual video game? Because I, I just, I think it's the shorts. I'm not with it. Yeah, yeah. I suppose so. For me, when I think about like guilty pleasures, I think I kind of come back to that that first topic that I mentioned, where it's kind of. Games that I like, that I kind of feel bad that I spent money on. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Rather than being guilty about the content of the game, I feel more guilty that I'm supporting stuff that I should be, or I am ideologically opposed to. I like this angle. Well done. So, like, there's a game that I, I recommended on this podcast not too long ago. Uh, I mean, I think I've lost all concept of time. Um, but uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, um, mm. a game that I played co-op with my partner Sarah. We both thoroughly enjoy we're still kind of playing through we pick it up every now and then and just play for an hour and put it down again it's a lot of fun there's a lot to like about it gearbox are a shit company right they're really shitty company randy pitchford the ceo is uh kind of a piece of shit you know i shouldn't be shouldn't be supporting them i feel a moderate amount of guilt there um or like you know immortals phoenix rising the um I... The Ubisoft made sort of semi Breath of the World clone set in like Greek mythology. Yeah, I almost bought that for my girlfriend because she specifically asked me for something kind of Breath of the Wild esque. Mm. But I actually just went for the safer bet, thinking that she just meant something big and I got her to Witcher 3 instead. Yeah. So I had that yeah. in like my Amazon cart for a while, <laughs> but I never played it. Um, It's really good. It's yeah. a really well made game. I mean, it, it would have to be because it's, it's basically just Breath of the Wild. Mm. with sort of Ubisoft scaffolding around it. Um, but yeah, that like Ubisoft are a terrible company. They have a terrible track record with their employees. They have a terrible track record at, at monetization and things. Even this game has shitty microtransactions baked into it that are awful. Um, so I feel bad when I play it, but at the same time, it's good. It's a good game. But can we feel bad about games that have microtransactions? And there's other stuff. Definitely, you can kind of. I don't want to support this company for other reasons, but I just feel like I hate microtransactions, Kev. But it's just become so um, ubiquitous. ubiquitous. That's the big word I was looking for. Like even the wonderful Resident Evil Four retroactively um, had them put into the game, didn't they? They did, and it sucks. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is it ubiquitous because we accept it? Ooh, you know, I didn't think we were going to get all. I wanted to talk about um, Japanese visual novels. I think are a bit awkward that I play, but now you're just getting getting super real. Oh, don't worry, we'll get around to the horny stuff later. Um, <laughs> I didn't say horny. I 
just and it's an element. It's not the whole reason. Yeah, we got to get through your um your 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 main course, your meat of moral quandary before we can get to the horny dessert. Well, don't you didn't aren't you a huge fan of because we brought it up as a kind of full rivalry before that I'm like big into Mario uh, or Diddy Kong Racing it was and you're big into Crash Team Racing. Yeah, and Crash Team Racing was one that's that had microtransactions and that's absolutely geared towards younger players and that that in particular that in particular was really shitty because they only patched in the microtransactions and the cash shop after release and after the review window. Yeah, yeah. So all the reviews played a version that didn't have any microtransactions in it. And then they were added after they got the good press. Um, yeah, that's no good. Yeah, I got that at launch. And then like a day or two later, I booted it up and there was an update and like it just had changed the homepage of the game to now advertise like cash purchases to me. And it was kind of really disappointing. I don't think I've actually played it again since. There was too much guilt and not enough pleasure in that one. We should have a chart, actually, for this, shouldn't we? Yeah, I think sort of the pinnacle game that I definitely enjoyed, that I definitely now feel guilty about and wouldn't and can't recommend to people, despite the fact that it is good, is uh, High on Life, (laughs) which I I played towards the end of last year. Yeah. Um, And yeah, it's... It's a good game, but I remember when I was I was contemplating getting a Series S, and it, it still might happen sometime in my life. But I, I was particularly contemplating getting one over PlayStation Five as the console I bought this year, and I was literally like, I could say on pen and paper again, Kev, but it wasn't. It was on it was on a dock, but I was like listing games on Game Pass that I'd get, you know? Yeah. And I was like, almost right on top. It was like high on life. <laughs> yeah, it's um. Like for those who don't know, it's a video game that's made by a crowd called Squanch Games that were headed up by Justin Roiland, one of the creators of Rick and Morty, who is ostensibly and allegedly a very bad dude. Um, So yeah, like in terms of, of supporting or promoting the game, don't feel great about that. There's some genuine guilt there. At the same time, it's really good. He's not the only person who worked on it. There was a team of devs that like that's the thing. probably probably crunched under his orders to get the thing out there. And it's it's really well made and it plays really well. And yeah. Is it funny? Probably it's it is. Yeah, that's mm. the worst thing. As much as as I dislike the dude, um, the game is funny. It it works. Mm. Well, it's kind of a party argument, isn't it? Uh, you know, we talk a lot about, you know games we love like last of us 2 and red dead redemption 2 are games we like and then <laughs> you kind of have to kind of combat that with with crunch and stuff like that and but then you then you always think of the all the massive team that kind of worked on it. and it's the same with films i find like yeah. is art bigger than the artist in this regard you know is it okay to kind of support something you know that where the main creator involves is a bad person like i love at least two roman polanski movies that I got into when I was a teenager, when I maybe, you know, cared less about it. But as an adult now, when am I going to go, ah, it's a relaxing evening. I'm going to put on, in particular, in the age of all media available to me, I'm going to put on a Polanski movie. I just don't think it's going to happen. I kind of feel the same way with games in a way, you know? Yeah. There's so much choice. I can avoid, or can you anymore? Is everyone just corrupt? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think, like, end of the day... 
things like boycotts and stuff like in the games industry in particular don't work mm-hmm. there isn't enough uptake they, they don't move the needle true it's been sort of shown time and time again most recently let's look at um, hogwarts legacy and all the stuff around that right. and like that's a game that we've kind of avoided talking about and probably should continue to do so but but did any of us play it on this podcast of the four of us i don't think we did i don't think so just don't think we're, we're not equipped to talk about it regardless of our um our, our, our ideals surrounding it yeah um but yeah that would be an example of a game that i would probably not be willing to play on idealistic grounds mm. but then also i have just said how much i enjoyed high on life so i guess i'm a hypocrite will I, you watch the harry potter tv show that they're making apparently i didn't realize that was happening and almost certainly not no. they're doing it all again they're doing yeah they're doing, they're doing the seven books yeah yeah as a tv show yeah over like the course of like 10 years jesus what an absolute waste of everyone's time <laughs> oh i know but look we don't we don't understand tv shows or films we're here to talk about games there's big companies like insomniac as well that had yeah. stuff that was brushed away that people are kind of forgetting about and they makes they make a lot of games that i want to play you know do you have any problems with those uh i should really like but uh, look at like Naughty Dog and the the history of the culture of crush, crunch there, and yeah. you know the, the conditions that people were put through, so that Ellie would have long drawn out gun cleaning animations in the Last of Us Part Two, or um, the people who you know didn't see their family for a week so that the horses' balls would change size in Red Dead Two. Um, um, we did a whole episode dedicated to Red Dead Redemption, but we can't stop bringing it up and complaining yeah. about it. Yeah, it's just. There's just so much there to complain about. <laughs> I like it. That was my... Uh, if anyone didn't listen to the episode, that's my summary of it. Yeah. But um, but, but how about you, buddy? I think I, I've I've ranted in moral grey areas for too long. Um, what comes to mind for you? You came at that from a, a different angle than I, than I even thought of, Kevin. I think that was that's a, that's, a, that's a very good one. But the angle I came at was, yeah, that thing you said <laughs> before that. It was just like... The horny things. It's not a just horny things, Kevin. I'm not standing outside that. It's, it's, um, yeah, is this game just like a bit awkward? I want to, I want to talk about one game first because I know we've both played it Mm -hmm. and I would legitimately have it in my top 10 games of all time. So it could be the ultimate of guilty pleasures. Is it too powerful a guilty pleasure? Some might think, um, it's Persona 4. I knew it was going to be Persona 4. Yeah. (laughs) A game I... Unequivocally adore, well, not not unequivocally. <laughs> not unequivocally. No, no, some, no. By definition, not unequivocally. <laughs> oh, a game I unequivocally adore. He equivocated. See the thing. If, if just a little perspective for people listening, when you're doing a podcast, you try to say words, and because those words come together and they create the content that people listen to. So sometimes I don't think of what the words mean. I'm just happy that they're out there, filling the seconds that equal the minutes that equal a podcast. And that's uh, the more you know. But Persona 4 is a wonderful, warm and fuzzy game to me. A big 100 hour long JRPG in which you play as a teenager who moves to a quiet Japanese town and befriends people and they form a little Japanese Scooby-Doo gang and they solve murders while also entering TVs into this meta world that's also linked to some town folks subconscious and this their secret desires and people are hiding their true selves that's a kind of a rambly summary of it and yes i love i love being in that game man 
And I think you said the same thing when you were playing it because you only played it this year for the first time, right? Or late yep. last year or something. And um, it is just a such cozy game to be in. That's one of the reasons why I love it. I've, I, I, there's an anime adaptation of it that is supposed mm. to be really good. It's quite liked by the fans. And I would never bother because what's great about it is the kind of interactive quality. It's, you know, the way the setup of the game is when you're literally playing out each calendar day. Hey, I just remembered something. Didn't we do like a Persona episode ages ago? We did. We did a Persona episode before I had played four. Oh, wow. So here's me talking about it a second time, but yeah, it's bound to happen. But what I'm, what I'm getting to this time is, yeah, you kind of very much reminded me um, through texting me while you were playing it this time. It's just like <laughs> some of the stuff. And I've always had problems with it. I've always had like, and it, this kind of extends to the other Persona games as well, which which I really like. It's, it's, oh, 100%. And anime in general and kind of anime, you know, themed games. There's stuff that you just can't get away from. Like it's the it's the um, weird objectification of the female characters. It's the it's the scenarios where they're either going to be all go to the beach together or they're going to be in a hot spring yeah. together. And it's that it's that kind of Japanese do carry on kind of nonsense. Very much so, yeah. But more so than that with Persona Four, more so than that kind of Japanese anime antics that I'm well able to meet halfway, honestly. Is that some of the writing is just, I find, just kind of morally ropey. Yeah. And my main one has always been, my favorite character in the entire Persona series is called Kanji. He's a kind of a, 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 a kind of a biker looking guy who's perceived as being a bully. When you go into his um, metaphysical dungeon to find out he's through subconscious, he might be harboring kind of secrets to himself and others about his sexuality and stuff like that. I, you could, you could argue against me, Kev. I always thought, I don't know. The depiction of Kanji was fine to me. I thought it was a depiction. Yeah, see, I know. Yeah, I always thought it was okay for a teenager who's... Because it's not just about like, oh, he's secretly gay. It's more just about he kind of has issues with masculinity. Uh, it's more a bit more complex than that. And it, it's yeah. about his perceptions of himself and as a man and being masculine. But what I yeah. don't like <laughs> is the kind of... Fucking best, Yosuke. The best friend character, Yosuke, who's constantly awful to him. And then, I, and then I suddenly realized when you're not given any options to kind of bite back against Yosuke, I'm, I'm immediately thinking, ah, he's the voice of the developers, you know? Yeah. And it's strange that the game will kind of, what I think is a pretty nuanced depiction of a character. I, man, I could be shooting myself in the foot here. Does anyone else think that? But it would be so weird that the game would kind of contradict itself in such a way. Yeah, no, Kanji is definitely a, um, a strong character. He's kind of, yeah, he has a positive portrayal in the game. I don't feel like the game in other ways is laughing at Kanji or making fun of him for, you know, what he's struggling at. But I do get what you mean. That, like, the way they've written Yosuke's sort of casual homophobia and the way that they haven't given the player any option to, like, interject at all in an RPG, they've they're basically tacitly saying like Yosuke's opinion should reflect yours as the player. You should be uncomfortable to be around Kanji. Mm. And that sucks, man. That's awful. Especially when, when the dialogue is delivered by um, Spider-Man. Yeah. And Kanji's voiced by Joel from the last, (laughs) from the last of us. And um, that's disappointing. (laughs) No, but, um, and that's the thing, that's the kind of emblematic of Persona 4, which I still staunchly stand behind. I think, I believe, if I had to 
composed list, like I said, the top 10 games of all time. I just absolutely love it. But there's just a lot. There's a running joke of a kind of heavy girl in your class that's just like oh, awful. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like in a game like this, should I have to like work so hard to not find it offensive? Yeah, it, it's it's giving you a lot of um, a lot of moral hoops to jump through, <laughs> um, and I I don't I don't think fundamentally that it is, you know, um, like a mean spirited game. I th- I think it it is striving for a sort of a more positive tone, and that in general it does have those sort of warm and comfy vibes of this group of friends bonding together over a summer. I mean, and also like solving murders and the world and going into people's brains and things, usual persona nonsense. But um, yeah, there's definitely, there's some stuff in there that is not done as well as you'd hope. I, yeah, I don't know if any of it on its own is massively egregious, but it kind of, it builds up over the course of your 100 hour long playthrough. If you think what kind of, you know, the, my guilty pleasure games I'm choosing is going to be that kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. not. It's really just, I wanted to emphasize Persona 4. But the, the the main game I actually wanted to get to via this episode, I was thinking, will I talk about for the first time in months now? Give me give me some credit. Will I talk about the Danganronpa series? I was thinking. <laughs> it's gotta be at least two episodes since you brought up Danganronpa. I actually think it's been a good lot now. I do. I, I, I Danganronpa is a series that I genuinely like. So that could be a guilty pleasure because they're bad in many ways. But then I was thinking, no, I'm kind of enjoying them while kind of you know poking fun at them you know i am kind of there kind of going hi i feel like a bit better than you game you know i understand that you're a little bit shit but i still enjoying you so i was thinking i won't do dangarampa but what's another japanese visual novel similar to it but one that i just genuinely love but i think is a guilty pleasure because it's ropey in a lot of ways not in persona 4's morally ways just in kind of writing and just <laughs> just in his Japanese-ness. Kev, I want to talk about Virtue's Last Reward. Oh, buddy. <laughs> I, I knew this day would come. <laughs> I, I, I finally elbowed it onto the podcast. <laughs> and maybe maybe it's good that it's just an episode that you and I are just, are, are just on, because I don't know. Yeah, I think Marcy will probably fall asleep. <laughs> Virtue's Last Reward, let's see if you fall asleep, is the second in its trilogy of, of Japanese kind of yeah visual novel puzzle games called zero escape the first game is called 999 and i think it's a little bit of a cult classic it's like kind of the most probably known one it's most almost mainstream one probably just from my vantage point it's a game i really like it has one of my favorite video game endings of all time Mm -hmm. it's a game i might talk about some other time Maybe we'll do video game endings an episode and I'll talk about 999. I don't know. But its sequel, Virtue's Last Reward, is um, absolute Frankenstein's monster of a game. It's, it, is, it is the <laughs> Gremlins 2 of the Zero State games. <laughs> Perfect. It's just absolutely wild. Just to kind of strike, to, to kind of explain the tone that the games, the games strike is, it's like Japanese saw. Nine people are put into this kind of play, place and made to play these games. Um, and you play as a, a, one of them and there's eight other characters with you in each game. They're all always these uh, very eccentric characters. And um, in Virtue's Last Reward, you're made to kind of solve these puzzle rooms where that's the puzzle side of the game, but the kind of main kind of quandary of the Saw-esque 
trap they're all in is every now and then they have to vote each other, vote for each other, kind of like the prisoner's dilemma where, you know, mm. if they both vote, you know, to ally with each other, everything's fine. But if, if one votes to betray the other, they gain more points. If they drop below a certain amount of points, they get poisoned to death. So that's the, that's the premise and that's fun. But then the story plays out as the story plays out, you can choose different branching timelines. So if, if you choose to ally with this character, you'll go down this branch of the story but if you choose to portray this character you'll go down another branch and then eventually you can hop between the branches so you got timey-wimey nonsense and then mm-hmm. suddenly the main character starts remembering things from timeline branches he shouldn't be remembering now you have a good sci-fi story going it's good shit yep it's, it is it's grand now let's talk about everything else the main, <laughs> the main character makes cat puns every now and then that's one of his character traits <laughs> yep uh every single plot twist you can think of was thrown in there is one character going to be a robot yeah you bet it, 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 it you're inside a kind of featureless facility will that turn out to be in a in a very unexpected place oh yeah very but what's cool about it for me and why it is a game i really like and similar to what i said about persona being adapted into an anime there though which i wouldn't watch is that it has to be a video game give because oh yeah yeah because, no one would sit through that otherwise <laughs> Because what's what's cool about it is that you you go down all these two these branching uh, plot lines, and the game keeps throwing new elements at you. You you hear yeah, like I said, here's um, a factory producing robots. Here's this place where people are discussing uh, a virus. Hmm. Here's this place discussing a virus that may have wiped out the entire world. Wait, I, I won't I won't spoil it any further than that. Here's Here's a, a part of the game. They're discussing some kind of crazy cult. Is one of your is one of the characters in here with you? One a part of that cult? It's all that, and that would be too much for any narrative, be it book or movie or whatever, a TV show even. These are too many conflicting ideas yeah. to throw into like a straight linear narrative. But because it's a video game, and you start experiencing all these mental plot twists and plot breadcrumbs in any order you want as a player, it's actually super fun to start building the story in a kind of out out of order yeah, and eventually piecing it together. And the fact that it goes so big with all this weird plot twist then is actually a credit to it because you just start wondering how is all this nonsense going to fit together? And I, I've played it three times Kev, in oh, my wow. life. I know it's too many. It's too, too many I, times. I do think it's the best one of the three, but I've only ever played it the once. I, I... Would you, should replay it. If you're sitting there now, could you imagine, if you're thinking about it now that I'm talking about it, are you kind of like, oh, I actually, I'd like to go back and play that again. I bet you are. You're not? No? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I probably would, to be honest. I don't, would, I, would I get like five hours and go in? Actually, this is nonsense. It's a journey. And like, I don't know, like, will I ever give it a fourth time? But it's kind of like the epitome of a guilty pleasure game for me because I can stand outside it and go, absolute nonsense. And oh, man some of the plot twists it tries to pull off don't even like they barely make sense like oh. i'm i don't want to like spoil anything like i don't who would care about this game but i don't know your main character's hands ends up being a plot point. Yep. <laughs> the nature of his hands <laughs> um yeah. it's one of those things like you got to find out who's the who's the jigsaw-esque villain who's put you into this predicament and that explanation would require a spreadsheet to explain to someone who hasn't played the game yeah yeah or but, a powerpoint or something uh, you, you, you have to sit him down for a couple of minutes but it's all this nonsense is why i like the game why i like i genuinely unironically like the game and it's why 
I wouldn't I'd hate to read Virtue's Last Reward as a book, but I love yeah. playing it as a Japanese visual novel. Uh like and it has a good cast of characters, which helps as well. Yeah. I'm not absolutely. coming out here I'm not coming out here saying like this is like the most amazing cast of characters ever put in the game, but it's like because the game is forty hours as well. It's about it's yeah. long. So I was like I was, I was gonna say is like, they're good characters to spend forty hours with. And uh I um suggested this topic for this episode. And I think you managed to come up with like really interesting ideas there at the beginning, like how to kind of go about talking about like games you could generally be guilty about liking. But I, I kind of just wanted to talk about the visual novel again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm fully on board. Those three games are interesting always. They're not always good, but I really like them. The third one particularly kind of really kind of uh, it's the only one that kind of went over the hump where i'm like no i'm not on board anymore i'm not on a board good ship zero escape you've gone too far i I can't even defend this nonsense anymore yeah i think the first one is like really first one's kind of tight yes it's it's tight it's 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 compared to what comes after it's really streamlined it kind of it it works absolutely yeah great ending the second one then it's um they obviously (laughs) they just they took the success of the first game and decided to just go big and they made as many weird choices as possible and for me it works it's my favorite of the three um but i could completely understand someone bouncing off it especially if they're if they're expecting the sort of the the tight shorter um experience that they got in the first game i called the, i called the first game tight and that's so funny it's only tight in comparison to its sequel yeah in comparison to almost every other video game story ever told it's the most convoluted thing ever <laughs> but just it has a sequel that's more convoluted than it yeah, and then uh, a threequel that is kind of just nonsense. I I, I, I love it. I really enjoyed it. Um, a lot of the third one works for me. It's just yeah. when it starts getting towards its end. What is it, Kev? What was the twist in that one? That what you, the player, seeing is a man in a wheelchair with a camera or something like that? Was that yeah. a part of the game? Was that a part of the game? I don't mind spoiling it because I have no. I, I don't else. mind spoiling it because I I fundamentally don't recommend that anyone play it. But um, <laughs> it was so funny. It was yeah. like what. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the twist reveal is that your point of view throughout the whole game hasn't been like just a camera looking at the scenes as they play out. It's been the first person perspective of another character, an old man in a wheelchair. A mute old man. A mute <laughs> old man in a wheelchair who's been watching it all play out. And apparently this is important and I don't I remember I can't how. remember why. But like just by demonstration, I like I, like I said, I don't know if it's important if we spoil the, the second game or not, but you come across a drug and, and characters are talking about it and they're like, ah, this like slows down your kind of awareness. You know, everything goes at like three times less speed or something like that. I can't remember the numbers. And that's like a plot point. You're like, okay, that drug exists. And um, <laughs> the reason that's um, that's put into the game is because it turns out you're all bouncing around in the moon <laughs> and, gravi- and gravity is. So, so, all the, so the writer was definitely there going, hold on. Hold on, all the characters would realize they're on a, on the moon <laughs> because there's like, I don't know, the gravity would be different. So I guess I have to turn, it has, it has to be that it turns out they were injected with this drug so they can't proceed. So all the characters, I've been, I've been walking around in slow motion for the entire game. Like, but you know, they all perceive each other as normal speed because they're all drugged up in this thing. It's absolute wacky Japanese nonsense. But well, if there's going to be a, wa- a wacky MacGuffin, then why not just have like an anti-gravity field like every no. other sci-fi Absolutely not. They have to be all have, have these drugs, and some of the and some of the twists um, connected the first game as well, which I thought was really neat. I was like, because the game at first 
isn't you know it's only tangentially connected to the first but then stuff starts happening you're like whoa what this is all connected to the first and i am genuinely a big fan of this series and i don't care yeah have you seen his uh the the guy um i should know his name i yeah, don't here I don't we are either, yeah, yeah. The guy behind the Zero Escape games. Have you seen uh, any of his his new series of games? Yeah, he has like a. There's two of them. I can't remember what they're called. Uh, they're called something along the lines of AI the Somnium Files. Wow, rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah. Which, for some reason, the first one isn't available in Ireland. In Ireland only. Yeah, like it, it's it's on like the UK. Uh, Nintendo eShop or like PlayStation Store or whatever, but it's not on the Irish one. The sequel is available over here, but the first game isn't. And I have absolutely no idea why. It's a damn mystery. It's a mystery that we can only solve with time travel and moon drugs. I kind of want to play them because I like yeah. I like the Zero Escape trilogy. I like his shtick. He's a he's a weird little dude. You make weird little games. It's it's a great mix, which I love. It's a great mixture of self seriousness and absolute nonsense. Yeah. Like, not to compare him to the great Hideo Kojima, but Hideo Kojima strikes that balance as well. The Metal Gear Solid games are um, very self-serious, but they're incredibly ridiculous. I think Kojima's a little bit more outside himself to kind of know, like, it, some of these things are so ridiculous that you know he's in on it. Yeah. But this other guy, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think, like, the ending of that third game <laughs> has strayed so far from whatever, like, truth the game held till then that I I don't know if he knew what he was doing. Well, fuck, it worked for me, so I mean... If we ever do an episode on our favourite video game endings, which is actually, I think, a viable topic, perhaps, yep. I, I will give a go to talk about the end of 999 and try to explain in a way that someone who hasn't played it would understand, because I was bowled over by that ending when I played it when I was like 20, and mm. I, I think it's fantastic, but I'm a bit of a hipster, you have to play it on the Nintendo DS to fully appreciate that ending. Yeah, I played it on the PlayStation and I regret that. Well, it's the best way to play it. Uh, you don't have to get an old console and I think PlayStation 1 has voice acting. But yeah. uh, oh, the DS one has... Um, it recontextualizes what you've been seeing on the top screen and the bottom screen. It's very... Let's, let's, let's save it for another episode. We, uh, oh, we don't have that many ideas. <laughs> And I think that's that's my guiltiest of guilty pleasures. Do you have any other games that kind of slot into this topic, Gav? Yeah, I don't know, man. I think there's... Like, at the top of the episode, I was like, uh, I don't feel guilt about playing video games, and then proceeded to list video games that I feel guilty about, yep. video games that I haven't played because I feel guilty about. Um, I think I just feel guilty about a lot of stuff in life. But... Um... <laughs> did you ever go through, like, a first-person shooter phase? I don't think you did. What do you mean now? Like playing like Call of Duty or Battlefield or anything like that. No, so I've played a lot of first-person shooters, but yeah, not I think not the kind I think you're kind of you're gonna get at here. No, yeah, because I like in terms of like a traditional guilty pleasure, that would kind of be my one. And I know it's weird because like they're among the most popular types of video games in the world. They make absolute billions every year, but yeah. I like video games that are just weird people talking for forty-five minutes and then that's it. So <laughs> playing like black ops for me is like transgressive it's it, that's that's the bit out of the ordinary for me but i played an absolute fucking ton of call of duty once upon a time why guilt, I, why guilty about it 
I don't know. I think there's is there kind of a bit of a smugness or a superiority about me where I'm just like, yeah, but they're not like good games, you know? They're not they're not made by auteurs. I mean, come on, like Modern Warfare was one of like the biggest things ever when it came out, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um and I guess I was only thinking about it because there's that um that Sony showcase recently where uh Bungie announced their new IP or sort of their new take on an existing IP at least in a marathon yes and i'm starting to get the itch again yeah yeah we were talking about it on chat um marcy wants to play something online that was a great idea and you're all talking about destiny and yeah. I, I i just didn't now there's a guilty pleasure game i fucking love playing destiny i'm dog shit at it and i don't play it enough to have good enough gear to get better at it but I was in I was in a, a bit of a grumpy mood and I just responded. I was like, absolutely. You did not. actually, yeah. No, I just something about Destiny, and I've heard so many good things about it. I've never played it. Everything about it, from the type of game it is to what I guess the experience is like. <laughs> so I don't know. Like I'm not I I'm not shitting on the work of a bunch of talented artists, but that game, when I look at that game and I look at his characters, it just completely blends into nothing for me. Mm. And I want to play along with all your reindeer games but i'm kind of maybe i'm guilty that i'm so pissy about destiny <laughs> yeah so so it's a hard no from you you're not going to play destiny with us i mean if you were fucking playing i'd def- I'd, I'd feel bad that i wasn't playing I'd... well now you said it you said it on record no That's i want to play me. let me play the fucking games <laughs> i'll do the shoot isn't it free now as well isn't it i think the base game of destiny 2 is free now yeah it's just, um, here's the thing Maybe my nightmare scenario is only imagining single player. I think anything is fun when you're playing it with friends. And I like games where you're not against each other as well, you know, co-op. Yeah, exactly. PvE. Yeah. But, yeah, but you're guilty about all the, the precious time you put into Call of Duty when you could be playing uh, Japanese visual novels, LucasArts adventure games, all the other things the cool kids were playing, the Metroid series in chronological order. Why were you playing so much Call of Duty? I was also smoking a lot of weed, and that's, that's it just a, seemed yeah. like a thing to do. Yeah, that's such a kind of um, you know, when you when you smoke, I guess it's repetition, is it? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's that like you could learn, especially also playing like original Black Ops. Um, so you you could learn the limited map selection pretty well, pretty quickly. You could learn how the guns work pretty quickly, and then when you're in a sort of mildly incapacitated state your thumbs could go on autopilot enough mm. that you play i was always awful at it but um yeah i spent way too much time playing those games um like all those things that you listed that i could have been doing instead i really should have been doing literally I, I, any of those i was only kind of half joking i was trying to mold you into my image <laughs> Maybe we should um, swap sometime and I'll give you a bunch of LucasArts adventure games you've missed and I'll play all of the Call of Duty games in a row. You absolutely won't do that. You still oh, haven't played I Football will. Manager. I will play it. I'll, be, I'll shoot the people in the airport and it'll be so such powerful gaming. What a moment. Was... Maybe that's why I feel guilty about playing. <laughs> Pricks <laughs> like me. My, my best friend and person who I speak to about video games every day just shits on them. <laughs> I'm actually not really like this. I'm actually open to most games. I don't know what evidence there is for that in the last in the I mean, last while. Other than this recording to the contrary. Uh, I don't want to be a hipster wanker though, do I? That's the thing. Mm. That's you got a... me fooled. <laughs> I'm sorry, that needlessly combative at this point. 
And so we need we need a buffer, don't we, between us? That's true. We need a pleasant a presence like Marcy Rowan who just stop us from fighting. But I don't think I have anything else, Kev. No, I think that's that's all of the things in my life that I'm ashamed of. I appreciate this, this, <laughs> this time at confession. No, no. If we endeavored to do a longer episode, it would just it would go beyond video games and it would become something we could never release. So yes. let's leave it at you're mildly guilty that you played Call of Duty when you're younger and. I like playing Japanese visual novels. And in essence, I'm not guilty about it at all. Yeah, I think that, that, that sums it up aptly. Okay, thanks so much for joining us again on Hey Look Listen, everyone. If you're enjoying, if, if your summertime activity in this beautiful heat is to listen to this podcast, please share it with friends or just tell someone about it. We'd really appreciate that. But hopefully we'll see you next time. My name was Liam Sheehan and I was joined here by Kevin O'Carroll. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Keeping you keeping keeping Marcy alive when you when he's not here. You did yeah, that last time yeah, as well. Yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs>